This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Thank you for tuning in to the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I didn't have an episode last week because I was on a road trip. I didn't get back until Monday night, really late, and I had everything to go to record, but I just couldn't do it. I was exhausted. Um, I drove to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then to Kansas, and then I took like, I drove two a days, 12 hours straight back into Bakersfield. So anyways, we're back this week, and I also wanted to remind you, the Notorious Bakersfield Halloween Tour will be available to purchase October 1st, and will run through to Halloween, all month of October. It will be $20. Uh, look at NotoriousBakersfield.com and go to the store and you can purchase it there beginning October 1st. Also, look at our social media pages, Notorious Bakersfield, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And there'll be links there to purchase it also. It's different than last year's tour. It will be crime scene locations in Southwest Bakersfield. Friday, September 30th is the 67th anniversary of the accident that claimed the life of Hollywood icon James Dean. Earlier that day, before the accident, James Dean was pulled over and cited for speeding by a California Highway Patrol officer just south of Bakersfield. After getting his ticket, Dean continued north on Highway 99 through Bakersfield. This would have been the old Highway 99 that today we know as Union Avenue and South Union Avenue. To learn more about the circumstances surrounding that accident, I interviewed a person who is an authority on the actor's death, a Bakersfield resident and my friend, Warren Beeth. Warren has had a lifelong fascination with James Dean's life and has researched and investigated the accident extensively. In fact, he authored the book, The Death of James Dean, What Really Happened on the Day He Crashed, The Untold Story Behind the Mystery. So I'm sitting down talking to my friend, Warren Beeth. Uh, he's kind of an expert on James Dean uh, with his um, the anniversary of his accident and his death approaching this week. I wanted to talk to Warren and pick his brain about James Dean's life and his, uh, his death, the accident particularly. So let, let's go back. Um, what, what got you interested in James Dean's life and his, um, his death? Well, my interest started when I was 10 years old, actually. I can recall I was curious about his death. My father, who is an ex-highway patrolman, told me he'd been on the force with O.V. Hunter, not on the force, but on a pistol team with O.V. Hunter, who had given Dean a ticket on that last day, and that kind of stuck in my mind. It was sort of a connection. And uh, 
uh, watching his movies, I was just really struck by the idea that he was no longer there and it disappeared so suddenly. So how do you describe yourself? Are you a researcher of James Dean, a historian, a student? I think after 60 years of devotion, obsession, collecting information, researching, investigating, uh, I think of myself more as a high priest. And that encompasses all those other things. I'm a curator. I've got a collection. And uh, and what are the books you've written about James Dean? In 1986, uh, uh, The Death of James Dean came out in Britain, and it was a story of my obsession and the accident and everything. And uh, then in 1997, I wrote a novel, Who Killed James Dean, which was an opportunity to just play with some ideas I had that you wouldn't put in the book. In a, in a non-fiction uh, uh, book. And then in 2005, with the anniversary, James Dean and Death, which is kind of a lighthearted uh, skip through uh, all the posthumous uh, craze, memorabilia, seances, uh, ghost stories uh, concerning James Dean and products and all sorts of uh, uh, trivia that uh, sprung up in the wake of his death. Now, you've had an interest in James Dean for a very long time. Is this fascination limited to his accident and death or just or his entire life? When I arrived at the intersection, when I finally found it at the age of 16, I had a feeling of arriving that this place was going to be important to me. It was very evocative and eloquent, and uh, the landscape was unchanged since 1955, and it still reverberated with the sounds of the accident. And I became, that was my connection to the accident. I've always lived 84 miles from uh, the uh, accident site, and so it's always been accessible to me, and I've spent time there. Is it an obsession? Oh, I think there's elements of obsession, and the devotion is even a kind of... Uh, obsession. But certainly, uh, I've uh, collected in my time, and that's very competitive and expensive, and uh, uh, you have to be obsessed to, to make those kind of sacrifices and money for something. But of course, my experience was different than a lot of people who wander around in a D Dean Hayes with no focus for it. I wrote a book, and that book changed my life. It allowed me to switch careers and uh, write other books, and I have written books other than on James Dean. Uh, so it had a profound effect and influence. So it's a, 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 an influence of your entire life almost. It certainly is, because I can definitely trace back to being 10 years old and going to the public library and looking for pictures of Dean in the movie books and stuff like that, and, and uh, looking in... Uh, Oh, encyclopedias trying to find out where he was killed because that place, I, I sensed its importance to me and it, and it uh, did wind up shaping my life in a way. So are you more of an expert on his life or his death? Definitely his death. And on his life, I can only say I've read the books. I've talked to people who knew him and uh, uh, I know as much or, or as little as uh, the next, you know, fan or whatever. About his life? Yes, about his, about his life. Right. And so there's a lot of contradiction and mystery and 
confusion and uh, just a plethora of memoirs out there. And uh, I haven't gleaned a clear picture from those yet. But uh, uh, in my book, I didn't even touch on that. It just dealt with his death. Well, I think it's fascinating is that James Dean is more famous after his death than before his death. His death was important. A Dean's death was a sacrificial it was uh, necessary for there to be a legend, and he became a redemptive hero to teenagers. So I've always found elements of religion in it and uh, mystery and a strange kind of spirituality. Now, he's only done um, how many films? Three movies that he starred in. That he starred in. So he really wasn't that famous when, when he was killed. No, uh, one movie had come out. Yeah. And the other one was coming out uh, a couple of weeks after uh, the race, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, and uh, which so, has some eerie lines in it that sort of presages death. So take us back to um, the day of his death. How did his, how does his day, how did his day start? As they started, he was awakened by uh, his landlord who fixed him coffee. Uh, and he uh, went to uh, Competition Motors. He either had it towed or uh, it was delivered there by someone else uh, on 1215 Vine Street. And uh, he had bought this poor spider for $7,000 just a few weeks before. It was uh, the, the fastest car of its time uh, but it had some steering problems and things like that overcorrecting and that type of thing but then he uh, uh joined up we had the two friends accompanying him that drove his uh 1954 ford wagon towing the trailer because he decided to take the car on the road to break it in to give experience and uh uh, and one of his conditions of purchase was that the mechanic, Rolf Wooderick, accompany him on the race. So he was seated next to him as co-pilot. Uh, they were ticketed at the uh, bottom of the grapevine near the uh, uh, Taft turnoff and uh, proceeded on into Bakersfield. Uh, and Let me start. Let me stop. You. Yes. So he was he was stopped. Um, south of Bakersfield uh, on the old or, or 99. Yes. And by CHP officer Hunter. O.V. Right? Hunter, yes. And O.V. Hunter claimed he didn't even know who he was. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And he didn't even remember at the inquest whether Dean had been wearing his corrective lenses, which was required by his license. But over the years, his memory improved, and and he came up with more details and yeah. embellishments. He was a great guy. Yeah, it's marked on a pole there. A friend of mine was down, I think it was after the publication of my book, and we visited O.V. Hunter, and uh, my friend had a road map, and he had Hunter mark on it, the ticketing site, and sign his name. <laughs> and uh, using that, we found a likely uh, site, and, and I was the one, me and Roger Cannon, who put the original uh, lettering on that sign in 1986. And since then, it's been defaced and uh, vandalized, uh, but it seems like someone will always renew it and put, it, put some more right. letters up 
to market, but that's the genesis of that, and that's the provenance of the idea that that is the site. And that's on like a frontage road to Highway 99, if you're... Yeah, you, you get on the frontage road right. and uh, get to the site. I'll have to go out there and check it out sometime. Mm. I didn't realize that you were one of the ones that marked it. Originally. I was the only one. Okay, so he comes through Bakersfield? Yes. Through On the 99? Right. And then... Old Union Avenue. The Old Union, okay. Yeah. What would be... Business ninety nine. Yeah. Once there. Yeah. And kind of, if you were driving that way today, it's the tr- the uh, palm tree lined uh, South Union Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. So he came through Bakersfield, continued north, <laughs> up to and he up to Blackwell's Corner, and uh, he was exhibiting terrible road manners. He had. Uh, uh, challenged the local boy to a race. He bragged he'd got it up to a hundred and twenty or something like that. And uh, and after Blackwell's went on to the intersection, and uh, apparently ran a couple off the road. And the road four sixty six in nineteen fifty five was not what it is now. It was two lanes, narrow lanes of ten feet each. And uh, and as he approached the intersection, uh, there was a uh, Ford uh, Crestliner uh, with a 24-year-old student driver, Donald Turnipseed, making a turn in front of him without a signal. Uh, and in, at the last moment, Turnipseed lurched into his lane, and Dean tried to make an evasive maneuver and wound up striking the uh, left front of both cars collided. Dean's car spun uh, near a telephone pole, and uh, the driver of the Ford, of course, which was, I can't remember the weight, but a uh, much heavier car, was relatively unhurt. And that was, was turnip seed? That was turnip seed. And uh, after the little investigation there, he proceeded on to hitchhike into Tulare, his home, which had been his destination. Okay. Let's go back to the, the intersection. That intersection looks different than it did in 1955, correct? Very different. In 1955, it was just a simple rural intersection with the 41 coming in and forming a junction with 46. And uh, it was very stark and small, nothing like it is it is today. It's totally unrecognizable. And I would say the original 466 lies beneath the westbound lanes of the current 46. Was James Dean killed instantly? There's argument about that, but it's difficult not to believe that he wasn't uh, killed instantly or died thereafter. He was declared uh, dead at the hospital after a 28-mile ambulance ride. And then the, the mechanic, um, Rolf? Uh, he was uh, been, been thrown out, clear of the car and was by one side of the car, and he had extensive injuries. His pelvis was broken. His jawbone was broken in several places. But he would uh, survive. How, was, how old was Turnip Seed? 24. Okay, so he was just a young kid. Too. He was the same age as Dean. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that. And isn't there a recollection of Rolf um, saying to him, that guy doesn't see us? Or, or Dean saying that. Oh. Those are all apocryphal stories that 
can be dated back to a 1957 issue of Modern Screen Magazine, mm -hmm. which had a ghost-written story about James Dean, supposedly by Rolf Wooderick, but Wooderick was out of the country and really didn't participate. Uh, he said later that his wife... But anyway, my wife cooperated in the generation of that. The writer, to satisfy the readers, he, he embellished up what was really a pretty cut-and-dried story and uh, made it kind of dram dramatic and romantic. And, uh, of course, Dean had to have last words. I mean, he must have said something sometime that happened to be his last word. But Rolf uh, testified at the inquest deposition from the hospital bed that he didn't recall anything immediately before or after the accident. He recalled no words mm -hmm. from Dean before the accident. So that's unverifiable. What, what it's, it's, it's apocryphal. It's not, it's a hoax. It's a, uh, it was just a confection of a, of a ghost writer for a modern screen magazine. So there's evidence that Dean was driving erratically prior to the accident in Bakersfield. He was speeding. He was going fast and passing cars. But the thing was, and was the point of my book, was that at the time of the actual impact, he was only going between 50 and 70 miles an hour, mm -hmm. an hour either with the brake or just decelerating uh, when he saw the erratic movement of the Ford. He had slowed and and he was in his own lane, uh, doing what he was supposed to do. And the other car intruded on his uh, right of way, and uh, uh, so he was not at fault in the accident that killed him. And the legend of him being, or his death being kind of a suicide or something, uh, I think that belies that. Is that? Are there rumors out there or, or speculation that it was suicide? Some think he had a death wish, and one of his friends, a composer, told me, well, "God, you're driving it. You're driving at eighty miles an hour, and you don't have a death wish." I think that speaks more to his age than yeah than to having a death wish. So, was Turnip Seed ever ticketed or charged? he was never ticketed or cited? There was a lawsuit. Rolf Luderick sued tried to sue James Dean's estate, the mechanic, mm -hmm. and uh, wasn't successful. And so he went after turnip seed, and uh, that dragged on in the courts for uh, until 1960 uh, into Larry. And uh, he never had any penalty like a ticket or whatever, but uh, but he certainly suffered in uh, in real life. Yeah. Now, you did talk to Turnipseed at one point. I met him, yeah. What did you What did you say? It was not much of a conversation. I was, like I say, probably 17 or 18 years old. And uh, I went into the shop, and this was on a Sunday, I seem to remember, and he was there with his parents. And I said, is Don here? And uh, I kind of, he got up, and we shook hands because I wanted to shake hands with him. And he sort of... Uh, I sort of tremulously said we were writing a term paper and wanted to know if he would talk about the accident in 1955. And he said, not a chance, and uh, smiled uh, a little bit, you know, sorry. But he, he never talked publicly about it, the accident, correct? He gave one interview to the Tulare paper, the local paper, which appeared the day after the accident, 
And uh, he talked about it then, and he was also deposed for that litigation in 1957. And uh, things, interesting things have come to light, like a letter he wrote to a friend where he kind of, he mentions the Dean affair and the damage to his car and, and stuff. So uh, uh, we know that today. All right. And you said that he suffered. Phone calls being approached constantly by journalists. Uh, he was telephoto lens in uh, one of those tabloids, Inquirer or something. And, uh, they would call him James Dean's killer. And, uh, uh, but to his credit, he never unlisted his phone number. He was always in the phone book. So he was accessible to any kookaboo that wanted to call him. And apparently they, they would come into the shop all the time and be turned away. And, uh, what are some of the misconceptions about James Dean's accident that you'd like corrected? Well, the big one to me, there's two big ones actually. And the first misconception is, uh, the, uh, a story surfaced in 2005 in a book that declared to be an update that uh, Dean had taken uh, the SR-166 shortcut, which was known as the racer shortcut, apparently. Oh, state, state Route 166. Right, but that is not true. And uh, I can prove it the uh, uh, with the testimony at the inquest, but that is a canard that's been afloat, and I would like to correct it, and I try to at every opportunity. The other was that, that someone, uh, a fan, declared that uh, he had proven that Dean was only dri was driving 95 miles per hour at the time of the accident, and all the energy was expended upward, the car flew up, and that's how it was going 85 and landed only 45 feet away, which was not far uh, at all. And those two misconceptions, um, I think my, my book demonstrated Dean was in his... Uh, uh, his own lane doing what he was supposed to do, and I and the computerizations have re, have confirmed it. Computerization, modern day computerization. Yes. Who haven't you interviewed that you wish that you had? James Dean. Yeah. That doesn't everybody. Yeah. 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 Anybody? Um... Yes, a local man named Paul Moreno who I say local man in that he died here in Bakersfield and still has children here, uh, who was the ambulance driver that day from Sholam. And uh, he had roots in Bakersfield and wound up here years later. But he's the one who uh, attended Dean at the accident and uh, uh, took him to the uh, hospital and appears in a lot of the police high patrol photos. Uh, and he, he, I would be interested in meeting him. I came here in 1980 and I just missed him. He had passed away oh, okay. that same year. How many times have you been, you've been interviewed by E entertainment and everything. The most exciting was the BBC on the 50th anniversary at four in the morning. There was a truck parked outside my house with a big, you know, uh, radio boom, and uh, and I was getting interviewed inside the house, and there was a lot of interviews that day, and it was pretty exciting. So the anniversary of his accident, his death, is the September thirtieth. Right. Um, is there? Do people get together and go to the site? Lone souls, I call them pilgrims. 
they seem to gravitate there. They're kind of magnetized by that same feeling I had, uh, and they feel a, a, a nearness to something that it, something that happened there. What time of day was it that the accident happened? It's estimated to the popular acceptance is 545. So they show up, and then there's crude memorials on the fence. People will bring flowers or cigarette lighters or, or, or can Momentos. of beer. Yeah. And and are you planning on going this year? I'm, I'm going, yeah. Interesting. And I'm bringing a large painting I have that I'm going to display on the fence, too, because it's... Uh, yeah, it'd be fun to take pictures of it. But I go, and there, everyone's uh, waits for the hour, you know, or the time that he was killed. Then they go off singly on their own way. I'd like to thank Warren Beeth for letting me sit down and interview him to pick his brain about James Dean and James Dean's death. That the anniversary is this week. Um, also, I'd like to remind you about the Notorious Bakersfield Halloween Tour. This year, it will be in Southwest Bakersfield. It will be available to purchase beginning October 1st and will run through the entire month of October through to Halloween. So, look for it October 1st. And I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with an all-new Notorious Bakersfield story. Have a good week. <laughs>